welcome to Ethereal Underground, episode 14. I'm your host, TNT, and yes, it's been a while since I've done my last episode. Just like I encourage all of you, I've been super busy trying to prepare for what I would consider a not-so-bright future, a stressful future. Stresses that are happening locally, regional, national, international. I think few of us will escape what's already started and the stress is coming. Some have been wise over the years, over the decades, and they've probably positioned themselves in such a way that they're out of debt. They're more self-sufficient, kind of off-grid, if you will. And that type of individual, family, or community will do much better for what's coming. I have in the studio a a friend and a guest. He's been on here before, Raz Wickham, and he's sitting next to me. So from time to time, I'll direct a question or get his thoughts. We're sharing the microphone, so I'll move it over so it's right in front of him. And he comes in nice and clear. He's visiting from out of town, so I thought it'd be good for him to come in the studio, sit with me, and get his take on some of this discussion. I really enjoy doing these episodes. On YouTube, I had well over 400 videos. and Like other podcasters or content providers on YouTube. It's highly censored, so if you have topics or your your discussions aren't what they sanction, then you get harassment or deplatformed, banned, whatever it might be. And I I had that as well. And it's it's just a frustrating platform. It does well if you're having a show or a channel that's restoring cars or something that's fluffy and doesn't really get into any meat, any subject matters of politics, morals, ethics, medicine, then I, the platform be fine. I, I think of, I still watch some videos on YouTube if it's fellows who repair electronics or someone who restores cars or works with animals. That's that's fine. But in my content and others, it's highly censored. So I switched over to Odyssey. And it's early stages. It had some glitches. Rough around the edges. It's gotten better over time. And I call that show Radioactive Banana. And I enjoy doing those. It's very simple just like YouTube was where I used the whiteboard. I like like the whiteboard. I either use it as outline with uh, bullet points or in some of the videos I, I did drawings, kind of cartoon drawings, or I did puzzles where I let you try to figure out the cryptic message on the whiteboard. So I have all the different markers, colored markers, and my eraser. And I, I enjoy doing that, but my Time is limited now, so even Radioactive Banana, I don't do as many videos as I used to. But the podcast is nice because it's a little bit longer. It's a relaxed environment. There, there's no 
video involved so I don't have to do any drawings or bullet points and it's more free-flowing and usually the videos are between 30 minutes and an hour depending if I have one or more people that I'm interviewing but what I wanted to discuss tonight is kind of going along with the series Outer Limits with Jet Blake, a series with uh, Rogue News and the platform that that channel has. They had issues also with YouTube. I was talking to the folks at Rogue News. I think somewhere in January they were taken off YouTube, and I, they're just now getting back on this week. So that's been more than half a year that they've been off YouTube and they had a large, large following, but they were, uh, finance. They, they talk about markets, cryptocurrencies, gold, silver, banking, commodities, uh, geopolitical events. And uh, again, like I said earlier, if YouTube doesn't like it, they're, they're quick to give you a strike or take you off their platform. So, the Outer Limits is not on YouTube. It's on their, their servers or their whatever platform. They have a couple platforms. Rogue News, TV Twitch is one of them that I know. And there I did, it's a six-part series. I did the first two already. Typically, the shows are on Monday, Monday morning. Show number three is coming up this Monday. And there's six, a series of six, and it's, really necessary all six to either take notes or several people have listened to it two or three times while they're driving or off work because there's so many points covered to be able to listen to it is helpful. But the six part series is really to provide a baseline or a foundation for a, a jaw dropping episode seven and possibly eight. So in order to get to the the truth bomb or the jaw-dropping discussion in series seven and eight, it took six episodes or six weeks just to lead up to that and get the audience a foundation to where episode seven and eight makes sense. I'm going to give a couple Highlights in tonight, episode 14, discussing a little bit about episode one and two of the six-part series on Rogue News, but maybe give some hints about episodes seven and eight on tonight's episode. So I, since this is not scripted, I have to think, how do I do this? I want to do this to where I don't give too much away. It's just like if, if there's a, a movie, a current movie that's out and one of your friends saw it and you're interested in seeing it. So how do you ask your friend, well, what do you think? How was the movie? And for that friend to be able to tell you enough but not give it away or ruin the movie for you when you go to see it. So it's, it's one of those type of scenarios. But before I get going... I can swing the microphone over to you. If you want to say a few words, whenever you stop, I'll swing the microphone back over to me. 
and your voice is softer mine, so make sure you're pretty close to the mic. Hello, everyone. This is Roz Wickham. It is a great pleasure to be here for episode 14. I believe it was one of the first three episodes that I was on earlier this winter. Okay, yeah, it was actually episode one when everything was set up for Ethereal Underground. So on that note, I say we get the show started. There's a lot to cover tonight. But before we do, you want to tell the audience what you've been doing about your, your singles and your, and your releases. I think that's pretty neat, like the, the cover and how many songs do you have out now? And then a little bit about some of these songs that you've done, maybe you originally recorded them and you've re-recorded them. Some of them are quite old. You did them years ago, but this might be a way for you to kind of plug your portfolio that you have and where, if, if it's Apple iTunes or, or whatever, where they can listen to some of the songs where you've written, composed, lyrics, the whole like nine yards, like you're a, you do it all, even the, um, the engineering, the editing of it. Yes, I started as a musician officially back in 2003. And by 2004 and five, I had already had my first few set of songs. And, you know, back then we had MySpace, which the most you could do was just post it on your public wall, similar to what you do on Facebook these days. But these days we have access to like Spotify, iTunes and all these other things that digital distribution services allow. So I've been going back the past uh, four years now and just kind of doing some remixes, remastering of all these old songs and bringing them out in a more professional manner. One, for everyone to enjoy what I was doing even back then that predates even a lot of bands these days, because we're talking 2004, 2005. And there's uh, a few songs here and there that's also from the 2010 era when I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. But it's also for me to leave a legal paper trail of what I did creatively while I was still alive whether it were to become successful or not. It was never the intention of posting everything, thinking that it would help me become successful. It was more so that self-gratification of, hey, these are things that I accomplished even years back. Here they are in a new light, in a way that I couldn't even present them back then. And now I can gladly share them with the world in my way, the way that they were meant to be heard. Okay, so... Let me ask you a couple questions, see if you can remember these, and then I'll pass the mic, swing it over to you. The, tell them how, is it under RazWeb, tell them how they, they can find you on these platforms, and then maybe mention a couple song title names that they can look up, and then kind of describe what kind of, I know what kind of music, I've known you for years, and You've got some of your equipment here. I, I hear you play and then some of your recordings, but let them know what kind of music is it and where did you, I, I know the answer to this, but they don't like what's some of your favorite bands or particular singers. So they know what kind of music, cause it's, it's not rap or country Western, <laughs> which and I, I like the kind of music that he plays, but do you want to kind of give them a clue sure. the type of music and who, your inspiration was? 
Well, I do enjoy all types of music, ranging from film scores, classical stuff, anywhere from also the electronic music of the 80s and 90s. My main forte is, of course, metal, but I took major influence from the thrash metal started with bands such as Megadeth and Metallica and gave it more of a symphonic edge so that you have your geopolitical lyrical content, but you have your epic scope with how the instrumentation is showcased and executed. And so that's kind of the best way. I've always described it as thrash metal or metal with a symphonic edge, which there's a lot of that kind of stuff these days, more so than there was back then. But there's different variations of it. And with my thing, it's not so much to be operatic for the sake of being operatic. It's whatever the song calls for. You know, typically on my verses, I'll kind of set up the stage for whatever topic I want to sing about. And then by the time you get to either your pre-chorus or your chorus, then it's just kind of balls to the wall operatic, depending on which song I'm singing, just so that it showcases a progression of what I can do with my vocals, as well as what's going on with the guitar work and the drums. And anyone that's into genre, whether it's metal or just music that is meant to make you think. That gets you stirred up. That's what I'm all about. I do have a few songs that would be seen as more radio-friendly. But then I've got songs such as my ninth one that just came out this year on May 30th that's eight and a half minutes long. And it's called Final Bout, which from a geopolitical standpoint, you can look at it as a song that's about, you know, that final battle of trying to win over freedom from your oppressors. But then there's a spiritual aspect to that, too, that, you know, we're getting close to where we are in the final stages of a final bout of the spiritual war that we are all in as humans these days. Okay. So that was, that was your most recent one. Yeah. Final bout. And they, they look up Raz Wickham final bout on Spotify or, they can simply just type my name, Roz Wickham, into Google or even YouTube. The nine singles that I currently have available are through all the digital distribution services such as iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. And no one buys my music and I hardly get any views. But again, it's there for anyone that wants to enjoy it. It's not for everyone, but I'm sure there are some. there's someone out there or some group of people that can appreciate that work that went into these songs back in 2005 and even 2010. Yeah. And that last song you said, the final bout is pretty appropriate for the times that were. That's exactly in, why I released it when I did. And right now, hopefully the mic picked that up because it wasn't in front of you. That's exactly why I released it when I did, because it seemed appropriate. It wasn't even supposed to be something that, I released because that was the third song I had released already this year, which that's a lot because I had one in February, then I had one in April, and then I had Final Bout on May 30th. But because I knew what was going on as well as what's going to go on in this world, I just felt it appropriate to get the song out now due to the subject matter. Well, that leads into some of the bullet points about episode one and two of that six episode series on uh, Rogue News, which provides that platform 
for episode seven and eight. Society's been steered, manipulated, directed, probably for thousands and thousands of years. I would say that's safe to say, but today it's really evident and it's obvious looking back how they, these system engineers I always refer to, which is a combination of human and non-human. The non-human would correlate to the scriptures that talks about fallen angels or a demonic influence or a spirit influence, entities that aren't carbon-based or not human. The scriptural references in older ancient texts talk about these entities that are way, way, way older than humans. We're kind of the new kids on the block. And the discussions I've had about these type of aliens, meaning alien from our perspective, not, not being human, but they're very intelligent, these former angels or, or spirit creatures. Today, to use a human term, they'd be all STEM graduates, scientists. You know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, math. So they are very ancient engineers, mathematicians, physicists, chemists, geologists, biologists, microbiologists. They're, they're really science-oriented. And, and you get that from the ancient texts and the fact that they probably had a large role in designing planetary systems, galaxies, terraforming planets, a lot of biology, plant, marine, mammal, reptilian life. But our society has been manipulated by a, a rogue group of fallen angels or multidimensional entities and old family lines, bloodlines. So in this community, ancient bloodlines or secret societies, that's well understood and there's tons of them. It doesn't matter if it's groups in Asia, Africa, the Americas, Europe. We know familiar names. Of, of these fraternities, sororities, but they're there and you have different tiers. So I think that ones that you see in the news, wh whether they're CEOs or bankers, heads of NGOs, non-government organizations, they're probably third tier. The first tier none of us will ever see. No one has ever seen them. And where they live or how they live, there's no idea unless you're at a high enough level and you're on that side of reality. We would never know. I don't lose sleep over it either. It's not like I really care. But they've directed society, especially after World War II, to really be 
fat, dumb, and happy, or comfortable, soft, lazy. I was looking at a video, some of the things I like to look on once in a while on video platforms is documentaries or old videos of like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Maybe it's a video or documentary on a hobby department project. And in there you, you see 1960s cars and trucks and then how people were dressed and kind of gives you an idea of how congested traffic was back then. Or if it's a, a video about grocery stores or early shopping centers. It's kind of interesting to go back, see how much I can remember growing up as a kid in the 70s kind of jog my memory. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that restaurant change, chain. They haven't been in business in years. Or I remember outfits like that. I used to have an outfit. So looking at those old videos the other day, I was, was one was about the grocery store, grocery stores of the late 60s, early 70s. And whatever, I guess that would be, what, 35-millimeter camera back then that they had? And it wasn't. It was color. It was in pretty good, pretty good shape. But it was someone filming different grocery stores and interviewing people. And the coolers that they had was interesting back in the seventies and how they would arrange produce and the meat aisle and the cereals. The selections weren't as numerous as the nineties and two thousands. But it was interesting. I thought watching that video. I thought, you know what? That's what they did after World War II. They had suburbia subdivisions, and then the automobile industry started making larger cars, and then family vacations and trips, whether it's Yellowstone or going to one of the corporate Disney centers. They were really pushing that in the highway system. And then the aspect that uh, appliances were getting better and better or fancier. And I thought, you know what they did is they did. They got society to where we lost all the skills of our grandparents, great-grandparents. And I thought, that's clever. If, the, if you have like a 60-year plan to get people spoiled with grocery stores and cars and trucks and, and traveling and then televisions, improving televisions as they get better, higher definition, less costs, and get people involved in, in the video game industry that comes out with one of the early platforms going way back in the late 70s, the Atari. And then uh, that spills over into the, the giant Nintendo from Japan. And I thought that, you know, what they did is they got us to a reality where we thought that that would conti continue. Convenience of appliances and grocery stores. Did you have a comment? Yeah. To add to your point there, that's very true when it comes to losing crap from, you know, our parents, grandparents, great grandparents, because as you said, they're trying to make things as convenient as possible. And this is why it's so vital for those of us to learn everything that we can from our elders, even if it's someone 10 years older, sometimes even five years older, because, you know, there's even things that I don't know as a person. But if I have the opportunity to work with someone who knows something that I don't, 
I always go for it because, as you said, we're so used to these conveniences now. Whereas, you know, back in the day before all these technological advances were at our, you know, within our grasp, people had to learn to do things for themselves. They had to figure it out on their own. If something had to be fixed, you couldn't just go online and, you know, figure out the problem. Right. So what we have is we're very vulnerable in the Western world because the skill set of a garden, you know, in the 1930s and 40s, 95% of homes had gardens in, in the backyard and then canning, pickling, drying out, dehydrating, you know, making your beef jerkies, things like all that skill set's gone. I remember in the 70s, my mom would get patterns and material and make dresses or shirts and pants for, for us kids. Well, it, it, probably the sewing skills, getting patterns and materials. Everything's been lost, and that's by design because now what they're doing is they're pulling the rug out from all of society. So when the grocery stores aren't stocked and the availability of shopping at strip malls or malls, everything comes to a screeching halt, who's got sewing machines? So if you're listening to this episode 14, let me ask you this. How many sewing machines are in your house right now or your apartment? Yeah, zero. That's the answer, zero. Can any of you sew? Can you sew a shirt or a dress? Nope. No, you can't. How many of you have a garden right now? Four of you listening to the show? How many of you have a garden right now where you're growing squash, variety of Tomatoes, and peas, and peppers, or larger row crop corn. Any, any of you grow? No, you don't. Mm -mm. You don't have that skill set. So as they're pulling the rug out, deliberately sabotaging the supply chain and then structuring a war, there's no question this war is needed for them to reshuffle the deck chairs of the Titanic, we aren't self-sufficient. The skills have been lost two generations ago. You can't grab a book or watch a couple videos and get those skills. Those skills basically have to be taught from youth. And then you need two to three generations living at the same time to observe the skills. I don't know of any blacksmiths iron metal workers that have all the tools in the shop anymore. So this is all by design because what they're doing is they're leveraging earth changes that are unavoidable. See, the solar system dynamics, we have celestial objects and we have electromagnetic emitters and field theory which is how true science explains our holographic universe atomic theory is the most popular and most understood but it's not really the most accurate field theory is and some of the greatest minds in 
especially recent late 1800s, early 1900s, all the greatest scientific minds understood field theory. What's interesting, when they passed away, all their work gets confiscated, Department of Energy and whisked away, and the public doesn't see it. But atomic theory, we're taught that all day long. Any university on this planet, atomic theory. How about field theory? Not a word. But we have solar system dynamics and celestial objects that really have the ability to terraform planets, change planets to a large extent. Well, we have one in our solar system. And what's happened is the powers to be and the military organizations who really behind the scenes cooperate with one another, they, through artificial intelligence, advanced computer calculations, they, they knew a, a black star electromagnetic emitter was inbound. They also have access to historical records. You know, you're told that the library of Alexander was destroyed. In Britain. No, it wasn't. So hopefully this listening audience, uh, you're, you have an IQ above 18, and you figured out that basically you've been lied to your entire life, so have your parents and grandparents. So basically, I wouldn't trust anything that you've heard about history. I think they've lied to you about all the sciences, the physics, the advanced chemistries and biology. So don't blame yourself. We're all victim of having the dunce cap because we've been deliberately misled. But these ancient libraries and these very valuable books and writings talk about this black star and solar system dynamics and what's happened in past civilizations or perspective from Earth, what happens to the Earth when this comes into our solar system and then exits our solar system. So they have all this knowledge, past historical knowledge, and then they had advanced computers. They picked up on this in 1980, that it would be inbound. And the blacks, I, I won't get into it in the, this episode. I, I've kinda, I'm kind of old and grouchy now. Uh, I don't have the patience that I used to. <clears throat> And people are like, well, I'll get a telescope or I'll be able to... No, it's, that's why it's called a black star. You, you can't see it. And I don't have time to explain the physics, but you can't see it with infrared or radio uh, and, or visible light telescope. That's why it's called a black star. It's basically undetected. And then next question is, well, then how do you know they even exist? Or I, If I had a, a penny or a nickel every time I was asked that, I'd have more money than our favorite third-tier characters in Silicon Valley. Well, you have to understand field theory to understand what a black star is. So um, it emits an electromagnetic frequency that's not detected by normal instruments that mankind is aware of. It's, it emits an electromagnetic frequency that's different than our sun. So it comes in stealth. You can't tell it's there how you know that it's there. you have to look at the behavior of planets that it affects. And there are certain tall tale signs when you see these 17, 20, these 30 characteristics happening on planets, then in field theory, scientists know, oh, there's a black star 
that's present. That's what's causing the behavior of planets acting this way. So it really is a thief in the night, as the scriptures refer to. So the reason why I bring that up is the powers to be, the system engineers, know that the Earth is going to have a terraform event. In ancient past, it happened in the Great Flood. The scriptural reference talks about Noah's day. Well, the earth is going to be terraformed. They know that. So what they're doing is they're leveraging. They think that they've outwitted everything, that they're in full control. Must be nice to be that, either that arrogant or have that much confidence. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to get people, society soft, spoiled, complacent, lose vital life survival skills, then they print a bunch of money that they have access to, their primary banks, you know, this monopoly money out of thin air, or it's on a computer screen, click of a mouse, print up a bunch of money, buy up assets, accumulate the assets to a small point zero. 1% that owns everything. Then get people unhealthy through junk food, junk beverages, sugary beverages, uh, neurotoxins, these artificial sweeteners, the list goes on. Get people injected with a basically a potential bioweapon that was funded by the military-industrial complex, an operating system that destroys the immune system, then get people divisive over race or my body, my choice issues. It just take your pick of the flavor of the day, what, that they get everyone bickering at each other's throat, get their immune system permanently damaged, get them polluted with toxic foods and, and genetically modified seed and pesticides and herbicides, then bankrupt the global economy, smash and obliterate the supply chain, and create a Mad Max situation on Earth that maximizes the kill-off rate so every neighbor and family member kills each other in a violent Mad Max situation while they quietly are underground and extremely expensive and advanced facilities that they've been building since the 80s. Because what they want to do is ride this terraforming event out. They know there's going to be great earth changes. Uh, continents that we see today won't look the same. Mountain ranges will change. Uh, oceans and gulf areas will change. Lakes will look different. While they think that they're safe and secure, under these high-tech, extremely expensive facilities located, strategically located all over the world, they sneak off in there, plan to be there 12-plus years, let everyone on the surface die, try to fend for themselves, and then when they reemerge, they own all the assets. There's only going to be one global governance, and then they have the technologies to keep the population very small, very limited and very controlled. So they'll own and control all DNA, 
They'll control and engineer babies. They'll have full authority and everything on lockdown. So that's what we're seeing. We're, they greenlit this, finance everything, 1971. It was a key year. 1971 is when everything was. So we're seeing the results since 1971 of this global agenda by the system engineers, human and non-human. And we're at a point where uh, whether they say there's assassinations or or deaths or resigning and stepping down, whatever it is, you're going to start to see the rats leaving the ship because they're going to a place of safety. Or they have CGI or double gangers, lookalikes. Uh, yeah, right, advanced holographics. You know, that's interesting because uh, when you mention that about holograms, They've really advanced holograms. So what they did is they started to retard the CGI and holographic technologies on Hollywood because they don't want anyone to know how advanced they are in that so that you will not be able to tell the difference between the hologram technologies they have now. And they didn't want Hollywood to advance any further. They kind of put a hold on their event because they don't want anyone to know, wow, they're that good and they're that advanced. So in some aspects, some of the movies, the graphics are getting a little cheesier. <laughs> um, but that's that's by design. But whatever whatever methods that they're going to use, they'll give the illusion that the powers to be and certain celebrities and prominent people are on the surface and they're interacting with you. No, they're not. No, no, they're not. They've been underground and they've been in these facilities a long time already. So when the smoke and dust settles, they plan on resurfacing and controlling the planet the way they see fit. And by then, they're letting nature, if you want to use that word, the solar system dynamics of a terraforming event. They're trying to leverage that to their advantage, and then they come out years and years later on top and we'll we'll see how that plays out the references of scriptural texts and ancient technologies or ancient texts show that uh, they will not be successful because it gets into a spiritual warfare uh who has does anyone have the right or who has uh, authority as far as like mankind this planet the biodiversity that we see here, animals, vegetation. Is this someone's intellectual property? Does, are there entities or a entity that has ownership and authority? Or we did we just get here through an accidental series of events and evolutionary process? And this was not intelligent design, and it just is what it is. But... Uh, Whatever your particular thinking is, your reality or your belief system, all of us are going to get more than just a pie in the face. So these are very serious uh, times that we're living in. And uh, the majority of the people will never wake up. It was predicted that they wouldn't. They're, they're caught in, in a coloring book reality, which is a shame. So they wouldn't be listening 
to ethereal underground anyway. The handful of people who kind of know something's not right and this is really strange and things are dead. The Mandela effect and people's behavior and time seems to be speeding up and nothing makes sense anymore. There's corruption and lying at all levels. What are they trying to teach in school and covering up uh, scientific research? You can't trust any anyone. They're, what's up is down, down is up. What's black is white, white, everything. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's. So those people who know that something's not right, what's going on? Yeah, this uh, podcast and then the series I'm doing on Rogue News is trying to explain these are critical times. And boy, this what we're going to see is never going to be repeated. And the majority of mankind are not going to make it. Absolutely not. Because they've taken no note. They're completely clueless. They've chosen to uh, an intellectual denial. They've created a certain reality bubble, uh, a safe zone. And that safe zone is going to kill them. But that's their their call. I mean, they're free to do that. Uh, I operate a little different. My brain and my reality is a little different. I kind of want to know what's going on and trying to prepare. Or at least, if I, if I don't make it, which probably won't, at least as I'm facing death, I'm facing it sober. I'm facing it at a spiritual level and with full cognizant recognition. I'm not in denial. I don't have any little safe space bubble where I go and get my coffee and take the kids to soccer practice and watch TV. No. So if if I do die, at least I'm going to be sober. I'm going to process it head on. It is what it is. And then I'll go down and the great record as one who knew that this was coming, tried to give people a heads up. Most people rejected it. But uh, I prepare as best possible physically and spiritually, and then the chips fall where they may. So that's my thought. As I wrap this up, I'll, I can give you the microphone. You want to say anything? Yeah, in regards to, it kind of goes into the whole, in the battle between light and darkness, which side are you on? And there's a lot of gray areas there with all the information that he has brought up tonight. But it's very well put together as far as food for thought because you have to be careful when sifting through friends, family, acquaintances, uh, people at the workplace because it's, it is as if we're living in a real world matrix and there are Asian Smiths everywhere. And you have to be able to decipher which of those in your life because whether you like it or not, there are Smiths in your life. It can be those that are most closest to you. It can be those that are kept at arm's length. But in your journey to discover more of what is going on, how best to prepare for the inevitable end, you have to look within yourself and make sure that you're not aligning yourself with the wrong path that all of our media, entertainment, all these just distractions, if you want to call it that, that are used to just confuse people as to where they should be following. And at the end of the day, you have to trust your instincts as to what's really right and wrong in the spiritual warfare that we're currently being surrounded by and have been surrounded by since birth. 
Well, thanks for that. And we'll wrap this up about the 45-minute mark, episode 14. There'll be more episodes coming. A lot of interesting events that we're going to see. You know, every every seven days or every four weeks, every month, this world scene is changing uh, rapidly. A lot of uh, stresses, some concerns and confusion. There's not much we can do about that, but try to process as all these vectors are coming towards us. And if we have a family, if you're head of a household and worried about a family, yeah, now's the absolutely need to be worried. We're, we're at a point now where there should be a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure out what to do to preserve you and your family, how to navigate this strange world and this reality that we're part of, whether we want to or not. So until next episode, episode 15, like I always say, take care of yourself. You want to try to be healthy, eat right, get out in nature as much as possible, get grounded. You want to be uh, outside, whether it's walking your pets or gardening or hiking, bicycling, any kind of outdoor activity, get away from Silicon Valley, uh, the smartphone. I got rid of TV in 1992. I keep saying like like a broken record. And I have people ask, do you watch TV? <laughs> no, no, I don't. But anytime you can get away from the media, electronics, Silicon Valley and get into nature, sun, algorithm, birds chirping, um, walking barefoot in the grass, anything like that is definitely needed nowadays. And the more you can do that, per day or per week, the better off you'll be. So until next episode, take care.